0: 21 CL Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the program. You're listening to the Education Vanguard, and I am your host, Michael Boll. Today, I speak with Kiffany Lijak from the Boulder Valley School District in the United States. She is the Director of Educational Innovation. We all know that change is tough. It's tough at an individual level and even more so at an organizational level. I always enjoy talking with leaders focused on change and learning their strategies, successes, and difficulties. Today, I speak with Kiffney Lychuk from the Boulder Valley School District of Colorado in the United States about the changes she fostered in her district. After the passing of a bond or tax measure that created funding, the district moved forward with implementing change in how buildings are designed and the practice of teaching is transformed. Kiffney shares her story and her ideas for making this sort of change happen at scale. Enjoy the conversation. Kiffany Leitchak, thanks so much for joining me on the program today.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure being here with you, Michael. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's nice of you to come all the way from Boulder, Colorado, and many of our listeners are international school teachers, so that's probably one of our favorite hangouts in the summer.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, um, we're really lucky to be in the location where we are here and to live in such an uh, you know, amazing community, and we, we like it for sure.
0: <laughs> well, we're jealous. So you're the Director of Educational Innovation at the Boulder Valley School District, and you guys uh, have a cool program there about innovation. Can you tell us, just give us maybe the elevator pitch about your program, what it's like at your school?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in um, the Boulder Valley School District, the Educational Innovation Initiative started about three and a half years ago, and it was really spurred by the passing of our bond in 2014 here. Um, That bond provided funds for four new buildings, four new schools in our district, as well as uh, funds for the other 52 schools that we have for um, development of innovative learning environments. So originally it was um, developed as sort of this this lens on facilities and what facility innovative learning environments and building facilities might look like as a result of the support that we have in our local community through our bond. Um, And tied to that also became this idea of Um, innovative teaching and learning practice. So as fun and engaging as innovative learning environments are, um, they can be very static and very traditional if there's not innovative teaching and learning happening in those spaces. So um, we've really seen the opportunity to uh, leverage facilities as a catalyst to shifting instructional practices in our school to be more um, innovative, more student-led, more personalized um, in nature. So that's that's kind of the 30,000 foot Footview uh, the four new schools that we have mm-hmm. uh, one of those is a brand new k eight school um, that we have all new staff hired in, and the other three are what we call rebuild schools. So um, buildings that were there previously, we built brand new schools, moved everybody over kids and teachers tore down the old ones so um, and those buildings were by and large designed uh, the architectural the architecture firm that designed those buildings is fielding Nair international, and their um, building design really focuses on student centered learning experiences through um, a learning community model. And so those were sort of the the initial kickoffs that we did into innovation here in BVSD. And then partnering with Fielding there was a great opportunity for us to also think about what sort of cornerstones of learning might help us to drive um, instruction in our new innovative spaces. So uh, we've also adopted a set of what we call our innovation guiding principles for the district that help us really keep our true north focused on Teaching and learning, and then also the facilities to support those kind of innovative teaching and learning practices that we're trying to
0: implement here. Okay, guys, so we got some cool things to cover here. And one of the first questions I have is going back to that bond issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I can imagine here for an international school, it might be the board that might say, Hey, we want to see change. Or maybe it might be the uh, school itself. uh, Maybe say the administration going to the board saying, Hey, here's the changes we want to make. So what happened in your case? Was it the, was it the bond measure people saying, Hey, we should do this. Or was it the school pushing to get that bond measure passed with those things inside of it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a little, little bit before my time, but historically what I understand from the bond, um, and here, here in Colorado, our local school districts oftentimes leverage the support of their county or local community in order to get more funding for our public schools. So okay. there was a bond that was put into place um, or that was levied to our voters. So put out to vote um, by the voters here in the community and actually including the idea of innovative learning environments and future ready learning spaces for students and teachers was one of the things that, um, you know, people who were here and developed that bond campaign would say help that bond pass. Um, we're very fortunate to live in a community that really supports our public schools. Uh, the bond that we passed in 2014 was $576 million, which is the biggest in the history of the state of Colorado. Nice. Um, so yeah, that in- the innovation strand of the bond um, was something that our community really felt strongly about and very much supported in terms of a way to think about um, not just, you know, renovation and upkeep of school facilities, which is certainly important, but how much might we kind of take things to the next level and really think about that future-ready uh, purpose for kids and use some of our facilities funds to really spur some of that work.
0: Okay. So I, I wanted to get into the guiding principles in a moment, but it sounds like there's two parts that really happened here. So you, after the funding, then there was, great, we're going to build four spaces. And then of course, within those spaces, we have to change the practice of teaching. So what would you suggest to somebody in a similar situation Is that is the beginning focus on finding great spaces and, and then finding the practice of teaching to be improved from there, or do you would you do it in the reverse order?
1: Yeah, that's such <laughs> we get that question all the time because we we sort of approach it from the order that you stated. You know, think about the the school facilities and then what sort of teaching and learning might you have shift as a result of changing your environment. Um, it's sort of a chicken and egg scenario uh, where right. I think seeing a lot of great success has been in this idea of changing people's space in a pretty drastic way can also change their behaviors and what they do in terms of teaching and learning practices. So Mm -hmm. when your learning environment shifts pretty dramatically, that can give you access as a teacher, as an educator to a lot of opportunities that either were previously kind of hard where the building got in the way or the learning environment got in the way and you had to really work around it in order to accomplish what you were hoping to do. Um, Or it just opened up new opportunities that previously weren't accessible in your previous building. Um, So a very concrete example of this, our new schools are designed in um, learning communities, which are multi-age spaces where teachers and students um, share spaces. So no teacher is really assigned, um, the, the theory behind it is that no teacher is assigned a specific classroom okay. with five kids that all of the teachers in any given learning community are responsible for all the kids. And that allows for a great, uh, a huge shift instructionally, right? For co-teaching, for team teaching, mm-hmm. for really thinking about how can we strategically group kids in order to meet them where they're at with their instructional need, um, so, yeah, major, major shifts that can happen as a result of changing the environment. I would say that you have to have both, like some sort of true north or guiding um, cornerstones or belief statements about what you mm-hmm. believe to be innovative teaching and learning in order to really leverage those innovative learning environments in a way that's sustainable and will
0: stick. And so if you had to do it all over again, you'd follow the same process, design f- the room first to encourage the change of practice? Do you think that was the right order now?
1: Um, I think. F- I think if I had to do it all over again, um, it would have been nice to have a six-month lead time (laughs) on some of the things. You know, we I think for for the timeline that we were under, and especially with tying innovative uh, innovative teaching and learning practices or switching instructional paradigms Mm -hmm. on funding, the challenge there is that you run into construction timelines. Um, Uh. So. You know, we're we're kind of bound oftentimes by some of the work that we've done um, within, you know, the building timeline. When will things be done and completed? We've since uh, established a lot of really good kind of systems and procedures and professional learning support for the work that we're doing here. But, um, you know, having six months to a year out ahead of time would have been helpful in an ideal world. If I could have planned things differently, I definitely would have appreciated a little bit more time on the front end, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Okay, so th- shifting to the people, is it best to find a core like group of volunteers, or is it better to select a wide variety? You know, some people that might be slower to change, some that are quick to change, put them all together. Is there I don't know, a formula that you came up with or wish you'd come up with when it comes to selecting who should participate in the program at the outset?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one of the things that we knew was uh, that ne- that we knew needed to happen was some sort of way that these innovative funds through the bond could touch all of our fifty seven schools. So while our brand new schools are certainly innovative, you know front to back, top to bottom, the whole package is there. um, we really wanted every school in our district to have an opportunity to access some of those funds through sort of an an equity lens. Um, there's certainly a level of adoption. That varies throughout the district in terms of each of these spaces and what they look like and how they're used. Our brand new school that previously didn't exist that was built in a new new community due to growth, we were able to really hire staff whose um, beliefs in learning and what learning should look like for all kids aligned to the learning community model where there's shared responsibility for kids and shared spaces um, and really more focused on a student-centered learning experience. Um, within our other schools, we have amazing, amazing educators as well, but it wasn't mm-hmm. as much of a choice for them. <laughs> right. There was, you're getting a new building and with this new building comes a new design, um, and, and also opportunities for, um, thinking about how you teach and how students learn in different ways. So our educators are doing a really amazing job of adapting and adopting to their new spaces, but the rate of change just looks different in different places, um, so, And there's different challenges and successes that I would say come in different areas, too. With our other smaller projects within the other 52 schools that are renovation, there's a lot of um, voice and choice in how schools mm-hmm. choose to invest those funds. So we've seen, a you know, a lot of really great excitement generated around that. Our operations folks have said they actually really appreciate the innovation strand because it kind of distracts, from, not distracts, but like puts the focus more on the teaching and learning and the fun part of a bond versus the, you know, HVAC systems and heating and cooling and all of those things that aren't necessarily as fun and engaging for stakeholders to think about. So um, those, those have been a little bit of a different story in terms of engagement and what we see in terms of shifting practice. A lot of that will depend on where the school decides to locate the space, who manages it, um, what their learning outcomes are. We ask each school as they create their uh, innovation project plan to really think deeply about what will learners do in the space as a result of changing things. So Um, we've, we've seen really great successes and also, you know, things, things are not always perfect. Our, my, my friend, dear friend, who's our director of ed tech will say oftentimes that we have to do a lot of innovation therapy with some (laughs) of our schools. Um, and I, I, I feel like that's true, right? Um, particularly we have, we're, we're by most measures, a very successful school district. We certainly have a, an achievement gap. Um, it's, you know, about 20% of our students that are in that gap, but, Overall, we're we're considered to be a fairly successful school. And so that um, incentive to change what's in many cases already a very, very good school system can be Mm -hmm. a challenge that we have to overcome sometimes and really setting the case for change and why we're shifting and asking people to think a little bit differently and outside of the box from how things have always been.
0: Yeah. I mean, the resistance is a normal part of any change process and probably in your role, maybe the most frustrating, or maybe you're the special person that finds it the exciting challenge. But (laughs) so how bad, and this is, I think is important for people to understand is just how tough was that resistance within your organization to change, especially since you're looking to do something at such a grand scale?
1: Yeah, I think um, we definitely have had pockets of it. The opportunities that were presented through giving people resources to help them change, I think helped a lot. Um, having, you know, these facility funds as well as professional learning support has been a huge help. So I would say as as with any adoption curve or innovation curve, we certainly had people who led the way and who are early adopters and led the charge. Um, we've had people who have kind of watched to see what would happen more of our early adopters and got, you know, got on board fairly early. And we still have folks who don't believe that some of what we're trying to do with the, you know, the learning community model or maker spaces or more personalized learning is necessary, um, necessarily the best and right way. So Mm -hmm. um, I think we have that whole gamut. Um, Having the resources up front in terms of both facility support and then professional learning for our teachers, I think was a huge help. Um, But it's all a process. I mean, change like that, systemic change doesn't happen overnight. I think that's the other thing that I've really learned to be patient with is, you know, a three to five year process. And the growth that we've seen in these first three years has really been phenomenal, which is heartening. So every time we have one of those situations where it can be a little challenging or bumpy or, you know, we need that innovation therapy to happen. Um, it's always good to remember that, you know, systemic change doesn't necessarily happen overnight that it, you know, it is a a three to five year process for most, most big changes at least. So, um, really excited about some of the the shifts that we've seen and how it's been able to impact student learning experiences in our district. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, overall it's definitely something that I feel like um, has been helpful having those resources to back it up as well as, you know, our teacher leaders in the district have been a huge asset. So Ah. being able to leverage peer support within our buildings has been, been really key. There's been a lot of work happening in the district through our ed tech team Um, And also our teacher librarians, our 21st century librarian cohort for a number of years before the innovation work started here. So having a certain level of readiness with some teacher leaders in the district has also been, I think, a really huge, huge help in supporting the bumpiness that we've certainly encountered.
0: I know I remember as an early adopter myself that if somebody was to say three to five years to me 10 years ago, I would have thought, that's crazy. We just need to do it tomorrow. But that's a much right. more realistic once <laughs> you realize that a lot of people don't always want to change the way to look at it. And I guess that gives safety as well, of course, to those that are a little bit slower to – or not much slower is that a fair word? Not as quick to adapt or change.
1: Yeah, yeah, perhaps a so, little bit more resistant to it. Yeah,
0: it, it sounds like and we you mentioned this at the beginning. The guiding principles, perhaps, were the way or just sort of the path forward for the entire district. Can you tell us a little bit about those and uh, what you really like about them?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, the we have six of them. I'll kind of run through them very quickly and then talk a little bit a little bit about the process that got us there and, and why I feel like they're super important.
0: Sure. Um,
1: so the first one of those is learning is founded in inquiry. The second guiding principle is that learning fosters uh, a sense of a, a culture of curiosity and risk taking. Our third one is mastery of learning is demonstrated in multiple ways. Uh, the fourth one is that learning is personalized and learner led. Uh, the fifth one is learning is powerful when students solve authentic problems that impact their local, national, or global community. And our last one is that learning is personalized and learner led.
0: Okay. I see. Actually, I have them here in front of me. Which one do you think is the most important of that group now that Hmm. you've used it for a little while?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I think that's a great question for me personally. So I'm also a huge advocate and supporter for project-based learning. Um, Mm -hmm. That fifth one, I think, is is the thing that I tend to like to leverage most in working with teachers and kids so that they're solving real-world, relevant, authentic problems. So from my my own lens, that would be probably my favorite or the one that I think um, gets us sort of the most bang for our buck. The other ones can be incorporated under, under that one in many meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that our schools and our teachers tend to be really drawn to learning being a social process um, and learning being founded in inquiry. Those seem to be really accessible.
0: Okay. For well, the, the inquiry can be a little bit of a change. So that's that's good to know, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that we're really focused on students asking questions rather than trying to find answers all the time. So, um, I think that those ones have been pretty accessible for teachers. Uh, personalized learning—we, we've, we've, I think, we still have some work to define what that might mean. Yeah, and that's tough it's kind of those buzz terms in education that everybody kind of says, but I think true personalized learning is a huge challenge. So, um, you know, thinking specifically through the space lens, we've done a lot of good work in. You know, ensuring students have voice and choice in their learning environment, um, matching their instructional needs for their space, things like that. Um, and then moving further down the line, really thinking about what does it, what does personalized learning mean at a deeper level, I think is a good next step. So, um, yeah, I think that e- each of them has found a place in different schools, depending on, you know, what's a what's a important for their school's mission and vision and values, tend to be adopted by that school. So when we have schools create plans, we don't ask them to focus on all six as a part of their innovation work. Uh, they focus okay. on one or two that are particularly important to you. So for example, our IB school, one of our IB schools in the district really loved that um, inquiry lens because it's also a big focus of the IB curriculum and philosophy. Yeah, so it'll
0: be a na- natural extension for them, of course.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So lots of ways to try to fit and um, fit with what may already be working well. And then also push a little bit on kind of next level or leveling up um, instruction and, and learning opportunities for kids.
0: I wanted to ask you about marketing. So you've got a couple things going on. First, you have a bond measure that's passed. And so you have voters that want to see proof that their money is being well spent. And, and maybe the buildings themselves are just an easy, great way to do that. And then you have the teachers within the community and the parents as well, wanting to, having needing to understand what's going on. So I guess that maybe I'll focus in one area here. Do, do you end up Showcasing certain schools that are adopting the guiding principles in a way that is what you envisioned or your team envisioned, and then sort of pushing the other schools to do that as well
1: absolutely, yeah, so that's a great question is how do how do we kind of share the great work that's happening? Um, and we've, we've done a couple of things that I think have been really, really successful. Leveraging the new buildings, you're right, is super low hanging fruit. It's really easy to get people excited and, you know, and just walking around and seeing, seeing the spaces and watching what kids are doing in those new buildings. So Mm -hmm. that's been a fairly easy, easy way to market and kind of show what we're doing here in the district. Um, another way that we've done, uh, some really great, um, just showcasing of the great learning that's happening around the district is our communications department was able to capture learning experiences that align to the guiding principles, but that weren't necessarily tied to spaces. So, telling the story of what does what does learning founded in, in inquiry look like in um, in any given space? Like, what could it look like? Not necessarily even in the new schools. We actually purposefully. I think only featured one or two of the new buildings in those, those vignettes that we've put out with the innovation guiding principles. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other marketing piece, which we've um, really part of kind of the behind the scenes purpose of this next part was to really give our adults the experience of professional learning that also modeled the innovation guiding principles. So as part of the support for each of our schools, when they implement their innovative space we mm-hmm. also have a structure called the innovation cohort where schools bring teams to collaboratively work and learn from other schools that are going through implement their first year of implementation at the same time. Um, and their end product, we ask them, you know, kind of in the the lens of project-based learning that throughout the year, they ga- gather evidence and produce a digital innovation story throughout the year that documents oh. their journey towards their learning outcomes. So, sure. yeah, those are really great ways for – our local community, for other schools who may be going through the process next, um, for our taxpayers, for, you know, just kind of our, our stakeholders to see that this, Im- the impact that these, this investment in spaces is truly having on students' learning experiences.
0: Now In our discussion today, you've mentioned the importance a couple times of professional learning. So mm-hmm. you know, that's obviously your role, right? And, and so my question might be is, where do you come up with the cool ideas to do professional learning so that it... So people end up adopting your ideas and are excited and all those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. Yes. It's it's um it's one of my charges for sure as the director of educational innovation. And we're so um fortunate to have a lot of other really great departments that um that work with and support the innovation teaching and learning practices in the district. So that innovation cohort structure is a partnership with our ed tech folks. Um, and having their support in professional learning has been really great. Also using uh, using we have a two day conference every summer that's called Innovate at BVSD, and mm-hmm. leveraging leveraging yeah leveraging that conference as an opportunity to really get our leaders and educators to come and hear great keynote speakers to attend professional development sessions led by other teacher leaders um, is key. So uh, finding the resources for me it's it's been. Um, It's been great to have support from other departments and also to be in a culture where we really empower a lot of our teacher leaders to help support and do the work for us um, in terms of helping bring other teachers along. So our teacher leaders and our early adopters have been key in building good, solid professional development structures. Um, The other aspect that I would say is really important is providing multiple ways for people to learn. So um, our new schools engage in what we call our collaborative observation visits, where we use kind of a modified version of Peter Elmore's instructional rounds to really work together um, to look for specific behaviors or look for at each of those schools and cross-school teams to learn from each other. Um, also having online opportunities for staff to learn. We have a couple of book studies that we run. Run One is on the Blueprint for Tomorrow book by Precautionaire, which is really focused on space and learning environments. Another focused on um Leaders of Their Own Learning, which is a book by Ron Berger, which talks a lot about really concrete structures and ways that you can get students to take charge of their learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, you know, some support and training in in PBL and project-based learning have been the three kind of big courses and pushes outside of those um, broader district structures of the uh, innovative BVSC and the innovation cohort that we've used to really bring people along. Um, So multimodal PD is key. Online, blended, um, face-to-face leveraging your teacher leaders, I think are some of the the biggest pieces that have been successful for us here.
0: And did you come up with those ideas at the outset because you guys are that brilliant or is it something you learned along the way or both? Um, you, can, I think, you can still be brilliant.
1: Yeah, I think the the ed tech structures that were previously in place were very helpful. So we've used some of those, the innovative BBSD conference is sort of a revolution or evolution of their digital learning day that they used to host. So that's been Um, Digiday has kind of evolved into Innovate at BVSD. And then I think most of the other ones had developed as um, kind of that just-in-time PD need for support once we knew what our innovation guiding principles were. And once we really had access to um, the support and collaboration with with Fielding Nair International, um, bringing in some of their resources to the district too. So yeah, a lot of collaboration and partnerships has, has been really key in developing sort of a systemic approach to teacher professional learning.
0: So Tiffany, we're coming towards the end of our time here. And you're going to fly all the way out to Bangkok to uh, share and help spread the cool things, the wonderful things you guys are doing there in Colorado. And after, on the flight home, you know, maybe, hopefully your husband's going to be with you. And, and he might say to you, hey, what do you think the takeaway was for people? And you have to say to yourself, what message do I hope I shared? Like, What two or three ideas do I really hope people have in their head? And what would those ideas be?
1: Yeah, I think one of them would be this idea of how form of learning environments and spaces can truly impact function, um, which is an old architectural saying, right? It's been around forever. But this idea that innovative learning environments can really support and actually kind of push teacher change in terms of instruction and and what kind of experiences we're providing for students in our classrooms. So, um, and not that you always have to have the innovative learning space to do the other, but it can certainly work as a as a catalyst um, and thinking about, you know, how different spaces and environments truly can support our shift to student centered learning and what that might look like, even within, you know, a classroom space, it wouldn't necessarily have to be an entire building, but, you know, thinking about how can we um, empower students in all different levels would be one. And my second takeaway would be that really focusing on instruction and the student learning experience is, is the most important thing. So the space is great and can really transform and do amazing things, but, Really defining what you believe is your instructional true north and what you want um, kids to experience in your schools and in your classrooms is is paramount. Having that clear vision for um, what you hope instruction to look like and what you hope students to experience in your schools and your classrooms is key.
0: Kiffney, thanks so much for your time today and for sharing all of your experiences.
1: Yeah, Michael, thank you. This was really a great conversation. I'm looking forward to, uh, to March when we'll get to, to meet in Bangkok. It'll be fun.
0: This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com.